Good morning, Lakeview Church. Good morning. It is so good to be with you today. And this is a big Sunday. It's a big Sunday because this is the first Sunday in the NHL playoffs. <laughs> and then I think there's something about mothers, too. But, um, no, if you're a mom here, we just want to say a special welcome and blessing for you. Uh, we know the investment that you make. Uh, in our lives, and we are so grateful. And I know that there are others that I've talked to this morning who uh, are like me. Uh, your mom's not here because they've already passed on. And uh, even even in the, the kind of missing them in this moment, we are still grateful for the investment that our moms have made in us. And I know that some of you are moms-to-be very soon. <laughs> Pastor Jessica, like any minute now. Just make it not during the sermon. Okay? Um, but man, we're so excited. We are going to have a lot of babies around here. Uh, there are babies coming. And so if you have been drinking the water, watch out. Because you might be having a baby too. But man, we are so excited about what God is doing. Young families and new moms and new babies that are going to be a part of this great church. And we are so grateful and excited. It is so good for me to be with you today. The last two Sundays I've been gone, traveling out of country to the nation of Zambia, and I uh, had a wonderful opportunity and invitation from the bishop of the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church of the nation of Zambia. That's the national conference over the nation of Zambia that is part of the Wesleyan Church. And the bishop there invited Dr. Mark Orvet, our district superintendent, and me to come and provide leadership training and to preach in the rallies for their national leaders and missions conference. And so we've been traveling uh, over the last two Sundays. We, uh, once we landed in country, we drove thousands of kilometers. Uh, and, you know, how we often say God makes a way where there seems to be no way. There were a few roads that we traveled on. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Um, and uh, we had a wonderful driver who took us where we needed to go, but we were able to visit four of the historic missions that were started by Wesleyan missionaries in the nation of Zambia nearly 100 years ago. And we were able to see in those places where they had created churches and grade schools and health clinics and Bible colleges to raise up leaders for the church in Zambia. And what started with just a handful of missionaries uh, nearly 100 years ago has now become 450 congregations with 55,000 members stretching all through the nation of Zambia. And it's been exciting to see what God has done there, and even more exciting to see what God is going to be doing in the years ahead. We were invited there to equip leaders uh, to more effectively lead their local churches, and we were invited there to inspire and challenge the church in Zambia to raise up church planters and missionaries for the harvest field in Zambia and the surrounding nations. What started as a church nearly 100 years ago with a few missionaries at different points in the nation of Zambia has become a national conference that is considering how do we plant more churches to reach the parts of our nation that have not yet been reached, and how do we send missionaries 
to the surrounding nations so that all of Africa can know who Jesus is. And it was exciting to be at this conference. They had expected 250 leaders to come to this conference and 450 showed up. It made the first couple of days of the conference quite challenging. We did not have enough seats in the dining hall for us all to eat. And so we had to eat in shifts and they had to go to the market and buy more food and make sure that we could feed all of these people. And they were finding classrooms on this college campus where we were, where people could sleep on the floor because there were not enough, uh, not enough housing provided for all of the people who came. That was just one of the initial signs that God was doing something special at this conference. We gathered together and we had worship services and we did leadership training. I was privileged to be able to offer four leadership workshops to pastors and lay leaders uh, in the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church in the nation of Zambia. And I was privileged to be able to preach three times in three of their rallies for this event. And uh, there were lots of wonderful things that we saw uh, God moved in powerful and wonderful ways. And I took thousands of pictures, and literally, literally, I took thousands of pictures. I, I counted them. There, there, there are literally over a thousand pictures that I took. And then and then Dr. Corbett, you know, if you know anything about him, he, he just takes pictures all the time. And, and so between him and I, we literally have thousands of pictures. I took dozens of videos of people that we met and places that we saw, um, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful trip. Now, I remember when I was a kid, missionaries would come back, and they would have like these slide projector things they put on the table, and then they'd like, click the button, and we'd see every picture they took while they were there. And so, let's get started. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I'm actually... Only going to show you one picture this morning, just one. And this picture that I want them to put on the screen is a picture that kind of, for me, captures the highlight of this entire trip. And it happened last Sunday morning. Uh, we were in kind of the main worship gathering. There were lots of special guests, some that had traveled hours to be there just for that service, along with all of the people who were already gathered and assembled at the conference. And I preached a message that God gave me in January before I ever knew I was going to be going to Zambia. He actually gave it to me when I was standing right back there behind those pews during 21 days of prayer. God gave me a very clear message about his conversation that he is constantly having. Who will go for us and who can we send? And I preached that message last Sunday morning. Uh, to all of the people assembled in that room. And then I turned the microphone over to Bishop Judin Sachetani. And Bishop came up and he, he gave an altar call. And as I had talked about the fact that God is always looking for people to send, the bishop came up and said, some of you in this room right now are being called to plant churches in parts of Zambia where no churches exist. And some of you are being called to be missionaries to Botswana or Namibia or Zimbabwe or Tanzania. And if you are here in this gathering today and God is calling you to be a church planter or a missionary to another nation, I want you to come forward. And what happened over the next few moments can only be described as a move of God's spirit. Because in just a matter of seconds, 
There were dozens and dozens and dozens of people filing out of their seats and coming down out of the balcony to make their way to the front. And in just a minute or two, there were three and four deep at the altar of people responding, Here am I, send me. We counted up about 60 or 70 people who came forward to respond to the call to be church planters or missionaries to another nation in Africa. And God's presence was so powerful and so strong that we spent the next seven or eight minutes just laying hands on each one of those people that came forward and asking God to raise up these men and women to go literally all throughout Zambia and into the surrounding nations to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was clearly at work in this conference. I had one young man who after this service came up to me and he handed me his passport. And I said, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, well, I want you to pray for my passport. And I said, well, what would you like me to pray about? And he said, I want you to pray that God will use this passport to open any and every door that he has for me to take his gospel to another country. And so it's my privilege to just stop out there in the courtyard and pray for this young man's passport, that God would take him wherever he wanted him to go to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you all of that this morning because I just wanted to take a moment before I preach the message that God's given me for us today to just say thank you. I'm very, very grateful for a local board of administration and a congregation that would allow me to be gone for two Sundays to invest in the leaders in the nation of Zambia. I'm grateful that you would give me an opportunity to go and represent our church and our district and invest in those leaders and to allow God to work and minister through me and Dr. Warbet during these last two weeks. I'm grateful for the prayers that you have prayed. So many of you sent me messages on Facebook and you sent text messages to say, I'm praying for the trip. I'm praying for safe travel. I'm praying for God to use you. And I just want you to know, God answered your prayers. I'm, I'm grateful also, and I want to take a moment just to thank our staff. Our church staff cared for all of the details of ministry while I've been gone. I did not have to pull away at any moment while I was in Zambia to think about or deal with anything that was happening here because our staff did a great job. Or if things were burning down here, they just didn't let me know. <laughs> so I'm going to assume the best that things were going well. And if not, I'm going to thank them they didn't call me while I was there. But so grateful for Pastor Jared to preach the Word of God these last two Sundays and for our team to just care for the ministry of our church while I was away. And I just wanted to take a moment to just say that even though I traveled to Zambia, whatever was accomplished there is something that wasn't something I did. It was something that we did together collectively. You allowed me to go, you prayed, you interceded, you faithfully lifted up the conference, and our staff carried ministry, and because of that, we were able, with God's help, to make the investment that God wanted us to make. And I just want to say thank you. Can we give the Lord praise this morning? 
message. I promise there's a message coming. And you won't get to lunch on time, I promise. But uh, I promised the people in Zambia that we would take time in our service and we would pray for them this morning. And so I want us to do that and then we'll turn our attention to the Word of God. So let's pray now. God, we come before you right now and we are so very thankful, grateful for the way that you faithfully and, and powerfully worked in this last week or so at this conference in Zambia. God, you, you had purposes and plans for that gathering. Lord, when they were thinking of 250 people, you had 450 in your mind. And you brought them to that location. And God, you, in the worship services and the prayer times and the preaching and teaching that happened there, God, you did your work. You called people to a deeper encounter with you, to a deeper walk with you. You called them to a life of holiness. And God, you raised up church planters and missionaries that you are calling and sending so that more and more people can know who you are. So today, God, in this service, we pray for Bishop Sachetima. We pray for the leaders that work alongside of him, the district superintendents. We pray for the local church pastors and the lay leaders in each one of those congregations. And we simply ask God for a special anointing of your spirit to rest upon the church in Zambia. And we are asking that you would continue to raise up laborers for the harvest field. And you would send people out to plant churches. That you would send out missionaries into the surrounding nations. And God, we pray for a revival to continue to spread across Zambia and throughout the continent of Africa. Lord, we pray for the church there to be strengthened for the word to go forward, for the gospel to be proclaimed, and for men and women and children in every community and in every tribe and in every language there to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And God, we pray that your name would be glorified and your kingdom would be advanced there. So we lift up today the Pilgrim Wesleyan Church in Zambia and we ask God for a special touch of your hand. God, on this day, here in Marion, Indiana, at Lakeview Church, as we look at the scriptures together now, would you speak to us, your people, for we are listening, and we want to hear your voice, and we want to respond in faith. We pray all of this today in the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Now, Pastor Jared started a new message series while I was away, which we're calling Surprised by Hope. This is our Easter season message series. And we're really taking the message of Easter, which is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised again on the third day for our, for our lives, so that we could be victorious, and we could be free, and we could be forgiven. Jesus won the victory at Easter. And what we're talking about these weeks is the passage that we find in 1 Corinthians 15, which really unpacks the implications of the resurrection for our lives. 
And in this series so far, we've talked about the fact that the resurrection of Jesus really is the foundation of our faith. Lots of people have died. Lots of people have even died on crosses. But only one was raised again on the third day. And it is because, not just of his death, but because of his resurrection, that our faith has a foundation to be built upon. And because of this reality, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, not only do we have a strong foundation to build our faith on, but we have hope. Hope that we too will be raised again, that we will experience life. Not just life here and now, but life then and there because of what Jesus has done. The resurrection truly is the foundation of our faith and it is the key to our hope. But this morning I want to talk to you in a message which I'm calling God over everything. I want to talk to you about how the resurrection of Jesus isn't just about building a foundation and it's not just about giving us hope for our future. But I want to talk to you about how in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the seeds of the future that God is producing have been planted. It's not just about the foundation of our faith, and it's not just about giving us hope about what will happen after we die. Though it is all of those things in the resurrection, God also gives us Seeds that he has planted through the resurrection that will, at the end of time, produce a harvest. And today, for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about what the resurrection has to say about the future, about how things are going to end. In fact, we're going to spend the rest of this series talking about what the resurrection has to say about the end. And we begin today by looking at the verses that Lori read for us just a few moments ago. These verses talk to us about the fact that because of the resurrection, there is a moment coming in the future when God will be God over everything. That's what all of human history is moving towards. If the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the turning point of human history, and I think that's what it is. It is the, the turning point of the story that God is writing. What we're going to talk about today is the climax of the story. Where is the story heading? Where does it end? Where does it find its fulfillment? We couldn't get to the end without the death and resurrection of Jesus, but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, at the turning point of the story, the story now has a brand new trajectory. And it's moving towards this end moment that we're going to talk about today. And to talk about it, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28. This is kind of the, the key verse, if you will, of today's message. And this is what it says. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. This is a description of the end. Jesus Christ comes as a baby in a manger. He lives his life. He gives himself on the cross. He's crucified, and there he dies. Remember, we talked about it on Good Friday, where he said, it is finished. 
And with that, he breathed his last and he died. They took him off of the cross. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he is raised again from the dead. And we've already identified the fact that if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're in big trouble. Right? Our faith is useless. We're still in our sins. And in fact, we could be called liars. Because we're proclaiming something that just isn't true. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And because he's been raised from the dead, we can be raised from the dead. This is the wonderful truth of the Christian faith. That Jesus isn't the only one who will be raised from the dead. He is the first fruits from the dead. And that all of us who believe in Jesus, if we die before Jesus comes back, we too will be raised. And those of us who are alive when Jesus returns, we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. All of this is made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He conquered the power of sin in our lives. And when he was raised again, Jesus won the victory. And what's happening since his death and resurrection is that the victory of Jesus is being worked out in this world. See, the death and resurrection was a turning point in the story. It made something possible that wasn't possible before. And because of that turning point, everything is moving towards this climax moment. And the climax moment happens when everything comes under the authority of Jesus Christ. When at the very end of time, Jesus returns and everyone who has died in the Lord will be raised again. And all of us who remain, we will be changed. And we will all take this mortality that we all know as human beings. And we will be clothed with the immortal. And we will forever be with our God. This is where things are headed. In fact, the scriptures say that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And when that enemy has been defeated and everything has been brought under the authority of Jesus Christ and Jesus is recognized for who he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, in that moment when the kingdom of Jesus is fully realized, he will take the kingdom and he will give it to his father. And he will give it to his father so that in that moment God can be God over everything. It will be the way God intended for this world to be. That everything is under his rule. Everything is under his authority. Everything is under his reign. And everything is submitted to him. This is where human history is headed. It's echoed not just in 1 Corinthians 15, but in passages like Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where we're told that one day every knee will bow. Even the ones that don't want to. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where human history is heading. Everything that we are experiencing is moving in that direction. And this 
truth, this reality, has some implications for us. And I want to I just talk about two of them this morning. The first one is that when we recognize this truth, that human history is moving to this moment where God is God over everything, the first thing that it does for us is it gives us hope. It gives us hope. I mean, there are lots of things that are going to happen between this very moment that we're in right now and the end. We don't know how long. Could be today. Could be a thousand years from now. Could be 10,000 years from now. We don't know. And some of you might think, but we ought to be able to figure it out. I just want to remind you that when the disciples asked Jesus when the time would come, Jesus said, I don't know. And if Jesus doesn't know, Pretty sure we don't. Could be today. It could be tomorrow. Could be a thousand years or ten thousand years. We don't know when the end will come. But whenever it comes, we know how it will end. We don't know when it will come, but we know how it will end. Jesus' kingdom will be fully realized. Everything will be as it is supposed to be. And in that moment, Jesus will give his fully realized kingdom to his Father. And God will be God over everything, everywhere. And it will be just the way God wants it to be. We don't know when it will happen, but we know how it will happen. And when we think about that, it ought to give us some hope. Because we look around at our world, and when we look at our world, I don't have to spend any time today convincing you that our world doesn't look the way God wants it to look. Right? I, I don't have to tell you about all of the things and point out every detail to say, see that right there? That's not the way God wants it to be. We know that there is a world that has been filled with brokenness. We know that there is a world that's been filled with pain, that's been filled with suffering. And why? Because there's, there's lostness and there's sin that is pervasive in our world today. But when we as God's people step back from the pain and the brokenness and the suffering that we see around us, and we just for a moment look to the end, and we see that moment that's coming where God will be God over everything, it gives us hope that one day, one day, when God is God over everything, the world will be set right again. And whatever's broken, and whatever's painful, and whatever suffering we see, it will all be made right in that we look at our world today and we see prejudice and we see hatred and we see violence all around us. It's everywhere in our culture. And we know that that's a result of the disparity and the opposition that we find between people in our world today. And we can look at all of those realities and they're true and they're present and they're there. But if we allow ourselves as God's people just to step back for a moment and think about the big picture and to realize where it's all going, there is a day that's coming when God will be God over everything. And in that moment, everything will be made right. Even the lion will lay down with the lamb. 
Everything that has caused fighting and enmity between people, it will all be wiped away because when God is God over everything, He will set the world right again. We look around our world and we see not only brokenness and we see not only pain and suffering, not only prejudice and hatred, hatred and violence, but we also see injustice. We see unrighteousness. We look at all. They just don't seem to be godly, and we can get discouraged by that. But if we allow ourselves as God for one moment and look at the end and see where it's all heading, we know that one day God will be God over. They know that they're going to be a part of the end. 
And now they're just hanging out in the waiting room. They're just waiting passively for the end to come. They're not engaged in the, in the stuff of our world, the hardships of our world, the difficulties of our world. They're just disengaged and they're, they're just waiting in the waiting room. They're not, they're not actually being productive or fruitful for the kingdom of God. They're just waiting for the mansion over the hilltop. Someone has said that these kind of Christians have become so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And I would just say to us and to this critique of the hope that is born from the resurrection and from where human history is headed, is that if we believe that we are called by God to be waiting room Christians, we have grossly misunderstood what Jesus has asked of us. Jesus does not ask us to believe in him so that one day we can be evacuated to a better place. Jesus asks us to believe in him and partner with him so we can see the world we live in transform to become the world he wants it to be. Jesus is writing the story that we read about at the end where God will be God over everything. He doesn't just tell us that so we can have hope for the end. He tells us that so we know what to work on today. If we know that's where everything is headed, why would we not give ourselves to that work today? Why would we wait for the future to come? Why would we not participate in bringing the future, at least a little bit of it, into this place where we live today? Just because God is going to be God over everything out there on the distant horizon doesn't mean He can be God of nothing now. He can be God of our lives, and He can be God of our homes, and He can be God of our streets, and our neighborhoods, and our work environments. Why would we wait? We can begin to live in the future right here and right now. Which brings me to the second invitation. Some of you are thinking, man, why don't you come and grow? Come, come on. <clears throat> Here's the second implication. We are called not just to be people of hope, but we are called to be people of missional discipleship. And these two words have to go together. Because I think in the evangelical church, particularly in the North American context, we've separated these words. And so we have churches that, that really focus on discipleship, and we have churches that really focus on mission. And I think both of them are missing something. Because it's both together, missional discipleship. Jesus, when he called his disciples, said this. He said, I want you to come follow me, so I will send you out. Come follow me and I will send you out. It's both of those things. Right? Come follow me and I will send you out. It's mission and discipleship. So let's talk about these words very quickly. First, let's talk about discipleship. Discipleship is where you and I participate in the future that God is writing by bringing our lives under his lordship now. That's all discipleship is. We come to faith in Jesus. He forgives our sins. He makes us brand new. And then we begin.
begin a journey with Jesus day by day, moment by moment, week after week, month after month. And all we are doing in discipleship is taking all that we know about ourselves and placing it under the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. And that's all it is. And we are called to that. Why would we wait until the end to let God be God over our lives? Why would we not invite him to be God over our lives right now? Call to discipleship. But this discipleship is not just to be about us. We are also called to mission. Come follow me and I will send you out. Right? When you are called to follow Jesus, you are also at the very same moment called to be a missionary for Jesus. And you can't, you can't divorce those two things. If you're not a missionary for Jesus, you're not really following Jesus. Because Jesus is a missionary. He is always reaching out. He's seeking to save those who are lost. And if we are following him, we are going to become missionaries. That is the call. Come follow me and I will send you out. Now, many of you are like me. Because you grew up and you thought the gospel was about you. And there's a diagram I want to put up here on the screen. And, and this is how I viewed the gospel. And maybe some of you view it like this. Some of you are more mature than me, and, and you, you know this is not right. But this is how I thought about the church. I thought that Jesus came to save me. I thought that Jesus died on the cross for me. And so it became all about me. In fact, when I put my faith in Jesus, I did so because I... I'll just be honest with you, I didn't want to burn in hell. I, I literally was afraid that I was going to burn in hell. And I didn't want that. I thought heaven sounded like a better option. So I put my faith in Jesus so I could escape the flames of hell and get a deed to a mansion over the hilltop. It sounded like a good trade. But here's the reality. It was all about me. I put my faith in Jesus, not because of who Jesus was or because of the claims that he could make on my life. I put my faith in Jesus because of what I wanted from him. Now, I have a hunch that a lot of people came to faith with that understanding. And if we came to faith with that understanding, here's what happens. We approach church selfishly. We actually think church is for us. And so it takes a lot of effort and energy to get people who bought into a selfish gospel to believe that they should contribute to helping the church function in its mission. This is where we get, you know, like twisting people's arms to like work in the nursery. By the way, we're going to need more nursery workers. We got lots of babies coming. But we twist people's arms. Why? Because they were coming to church selfishly, and we need them to serve. And those two things don't go together. 
And then it takes even more coaxing to get those people to care about the world. So we end up with a church that's anemic, that misses some of its power and strength. Why? Because it's full of selfish people who are coming to church as consumers, not as contributors. They're coming to church for what they get out of it, not what they give into it. There's a different way to look at the church. Look at the screen for this next slide. Jesus didn't come to save me. Jesus didn't die on the cross to save me. John 3.16 does not say those truths. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Never started with me. When God looked down, he looked at the whole world. And because his mission was to redeem the whole world, to restore the whole world to what he originally intended it to be, he needed a church, a community of people who would be gathered around the person of Jesus Christ to carry out the mission of God in the world, to see the world redeemed and restored. And into that church, he invites little old me. We are never called to come to church for what we get out of it. We've not been invited into that kind of community. If you want that, go join the country club. The church is not a country club. It is a mission force. You've been called out of the world to join with God in his mission to redeem this world. Come follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you out. That's the call of Jesus. So this morning I'm going to invite Christian to come. I'm not sure where he's at. There he is. He's coming. We're going to just sing one simple song, and we're not going to sing all the verses of it. We're just going to sing for a moment or two to give you some space to just reflect on your own journey. Because I think there are many of us today who need to hear once again that God is taking us to a moment in time where he will be God over everything. And he is not asking us to just sit passively by and wait for that day to come. He is calling us as his people to be actively and productively engaged in his mission to redeem the world and restore this and if we're going to be those kind of people, we have to surrender ourselves. See, God's victory through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it brings great hope. There's a day coming where he'll be God over everything. But that same end, that same future, also brings great responsibility. We as God's people are called to help make that future a reality even today. So this morning, I want to invite everybody in this room to stand. And we're going to sing this very simple chorus that just talks about surrender. And as we sing this chorus, I want to just invite you to consider what is God asking me to do to bring his future into the present day where we live. So God, I ask that as we sing this song this morning, you would speak to us. Lord, I know we have plans after this service to celebrate our moms and to honor those who have invested in our lives 
in that way. But God, I pray that you would give us just these moments here before we do that to hear from you. And God, to help us respond in faith in whatever you are asking from us. Make us people of hope. Make us people of missional discipleship. And use us for the work that you are doing in the world. We surrender to you.